Welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Good afternoon, Lafayette. Good afternoon, Acadiana. So glad to be back with y'all here on this here program. It has been a great long weekend. Thank you, Mark, for filling in for me for the past three shows. Very much appreciated. Lots to talk about. Lots of things decided to happen as I went on vacation, as things do. And I will get to those news items, but I do want to explain for those of you who are curious. Every year or so, my family takes a vacation, sometimes in the summer, sometimes just when it's convenient to everybody's schedule. We have an ex- we're expecting a birth in the family, not mine, but a relative in June uh, and July. So so can't really take a, a family summer vacation like that this year. So we looked at our schedules and, and the end of our Easter break, it was kind of the best time for everybody. So left the kids with my in-laws um, and went on a trip. My parents, my brother, my sister and her husband, uh, my wife and I, and we flew to Boston. We stayed at a house in Salem. Uh, we walked all around Salem. We walked. I mean, the day we landed, we must have walked a good six, seven miles just to just kind of looking at the town because you can rent an Uber or a Lyft and get them to take you everywhere. But but Salem is small. I mean, the the first place we walked to was about, uh, gosh, I don't know, a little a half mile, three quarters of a mile away from where we were staying. So we just walked there to eat dinner when we got there. My parents have been posted up at this place since one in the afternoon. We got there about five, so they were enjoying it. Uh, but but really just enjoyed walking around Salem. I went and walked around Boston for two days. Took a commuter train from Salem to Boston. Uh, walked all around Boston because there's so much just historic stuff to do in Boston. I highly recommend the trip. And of course, there's a lot of historical stuff to do in Salem. You got to go see uh, the Salem Witch Trial Museum. You've got to go see the Witch's Memorial, the people who the the, the, mo- the memorial site for the people who were actually killed during the Salem Witch Trials. Got to do all that. You got to walk up and down Essex Road where all the witchcraft shops are because. Even if you want to be smitten by God as a pagan, you want to do so in an actual witch shop. And so there are plenty of actual uh, witchcraft shops. There was there was a place that was selling some novelty wands, but those were selling for like $30 a pop. Thanks, Joe Biden. For $30, $35, if I'm getting a wand, the damn thing better work. I didn't get a wand. I tried. I tried to set my little brother on fire, but but it didn't work. So we didn't get the wand. But I say all that to say this. It is the Northeast. It's a very liberal part of the country. I mean, the East Coast is just very liberal. That's, that's what it is. But there are a lot of things that you really note, and virtue signaling is going to be a big topic of the show today. And there was a lot of virtue signaling in the Northeast. You're in Salem, you're walking around, and you notice that there are you know, stickers, signs of support for LGBT in the storefronts. There are a lot of people, I can't tell if they were LGBT hipsters or if they were witches, but I wanted to set them on fire anyway, just in case. There was a furry walking around the witchcraft stores. That freaked me out. That what shouldn't have been there. But it's a very woke, very social justice atmosphere in a lot of these places. Usually don't find a whole lot of it inside the seafood restaurants. I noticed that. We had some really good seafood. Some of the best scallops I've had, pan-seared scallops I've had in quite some time. And lobster rolls are a must. But it's a very, very woke place. For example, there is a house up in that area. 
there's a Black Lives Matter sign right on the front of the house. And you walk inside, and it's a house that's owned by a gay white couple. And inside the house, there are a lot of, frankly, racially insensitive, culturally appropriated pieces of, of decor. I mean, this, this is a house that's, that last sold about eight years ago for $1.2 million. Zillow currently estimates it to be closer to $2 million. So these are not, you know, these are upper class progressives who own this house. And they aren't aware of the fact, apparently, that the statues in their living room are racially insensitive, borderline racist caricatures of, say, black slaves. I mean, and the, the guys who own the house, very friendly. But it's just, it's, it's like they aren't aware, you know? They aren't aware of what they're preaching on the front of their house and how it might conflict what's going on on the inside of the house. And you see that all over Salem. You see it in a lot of places in Boston. There are so many moments where they are woke, they are acting super social justice they're fighting for the right causes and the stickers and the clothing they wear, but in their actions, they don't quite get it. You're in a place that, that wants to be environmentally friendly, and yet they have local artists coming in and painting the trees blue, painting the breathing bark of the trees with actual paint, for some statement or other, possibly Ukraine. And you get the feeling that they don't quite get what it is they're preaching. They're, they're saying the right things and they're putting up the stickers and they're putting up the signs. They're painting the sidewalks with a rainbow they don't quite understand because they live in this, frankly, upper-class progressive enclave. They live inside their bubble. And they don't have access to the views and opinions outside the bubble. Which leads me to the media freakout over Elon Musk buying Twitter. 232-1542. There's your tease. We're going to come back in a moment. We're going to talk about this because this has been an insane controversy. We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all today. Glad to be back behind the microphone to talk to you guys about just the insanity going on out there. And right now, there's this big liberal freakout over Elon Musk buying Twitter. And it plays into a lot of what's going on out there. Over the last 24 to 36 hours, we've been inundated with news about this. Uh, we know that Elon Musk was able to pull the financing together. The Wall Street Journal has the details on that. In fact, uh, let me find it real quick. So it looks like Musk... Uh, Bought so the, the price tag is 46.5 billion dollars. He had 21 billion cash on hand, a 13 dollar buyout loan from various banks, and 20, 20 I'm sorry, 12.5 billion as a margin loan against Tesla. That's how he's funding his purchase of Twitter. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. This uh, this offer this this big offer for Twitter 
was Musk's only and his, quote, best and final offer, which the Twitter board was actually initially hesitant of. They, They didn't want to accept it. And then a funny thing happened. The shareholders, the people who own Twitter, said, uh, you better take it. We're making money. So Twitter's board decided, you know what? Let's do it. So Twitter's board accepted the offer of the buyout. And Elon Musk now owns Twitter. And today, Twitter actually had to announce a policy and programming freeze because they don't want a bunch of their leftist activists working in their tech department to make changes to Twitter in rage against Elon Musk buying the platform, which should tell you all you need to know. Now, what is Twitter? For those of you who are not aware, what is Twitter? Twitter is a microblogging platform. It is, for all intents and purposes, what Facebook stole in order to become Facebook. At the very beginning, Twitter was all about typing in these little messages on this microblogging site. And it's blown up to being one of the, the, the main social media platforms of the day. I jumped onto Twitter, oh, about 10 years ago? No, more than that. 13 years ago, maybe. See, at the time, when I joined Twitter, I was in the journalism program at Northwestern State University in Natchitoches, and I became the editor of The Current Sauce, the university paper there. And they sent, they, editors can go to this conference. Uh, that year it was in Georgia, but we went back when CNN was still in Atlanta. We actually went to CNN studios and we got a lecture from some CNN folks about uh, the new age of journalism. And, and they were pushing, hey, you know, the future of journalism is on Twitter. If you're going to be a journalist, you need to be on Twitter. So I was like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll start up. And I, I'd actually, a friend had insisted I'd, I'd create a Twitter account, but hadn't really used it. I started using it more and more since then. And they were right. It is big for journalism. Journalists can get their names. They can get their stories out there. But it's really an echo chamber more than anything else. It leans very heavily to the left. And it is a hell site. It is painful to have to exist on Twitter, but I have to because, again, it's big for journalism. Anything I write at Red State, anything I write at Substack, any commentary I write at KPL, me putting links to the podcast version of the show, I've got to put all that on there because I've got to try to build the audience, not just locally, but building a brand essentially to bring all sorts of eyes and ears to this show. But one of the things that's become very painful over the last several years has been the left really taking over Twitter and using it to silence conservative voices. And Elon Musk is one of the people out there. Musk is no conservative. At best, he's a left-leaning libertarian. But he believes in the power of the public square And he believes that Twitter should not be arbitrarily silencing voices. And so he bought Twitter. He made an offer. The offer couldn't be refused. And I 
the um, the the big issue right now is that the the left and the media are having this freak out. They're having this freak out about Musk buying Twitter. Now, why? They're claiming it's all about democracy, but that's not. I don't think that's actually the case. Because while all this is going on, while they're having this freak out, they're also freaking out about Florida revoking the special tax status that Disney utilizes for Disney World. In the wake of Disney getting overly involved in the Parental Rights and Education Act, in that debate, Florida retaliated. And they voted to rescind the special tax status that Disney gets for the land that Disney World is on. Disney is, has autonomy over that. They don't have to pay taxes. They can manage themselves. The, the state government does not get involved. The move has received mixed reactions from the right. I'm actually not a fan of it. I'll, I'll talk about that in, later in the show, and I'll, I'll explain my, my reasons there. But it's got mixed reactions from the right. But the deed is done. And the left is freaking out about that. Meanwhile, you also have an account on Twitter called Libs of TikTok. And all they do, all they do is share videos of what ultra progressives are saying and doing on TikTok. It's one of the accounts that ballooned uh, in terms of following when it started exposing what a lot of teachers were actually saying about what they do in the classroom. And it was in response to Florida's Parental Rights and Education Act. And you want to say, well, teachers don't indoctrinate. And then these teachers are going on TikTok and posting these things. And you're like, uh, well, apparently they are. And so Taylor Lawrence of the Washington Post doxed, revealed the personal information of the person behind that account. And then they lied about it and said, oh, we didn't dox. They, they put her real estate license on there, which had her personal number on it, the, the person who runs the account. And then they took it off and said, no, we never shared her personal information. They lied. They doxed this person and they said that, well, it's a threat to democracy if you're going out and intimidating these teachers. I'm starting to think it's not about democracy at all. I'm really starting to think that it's about control. And no, I'm not really starting to think that. That's me being a little facetious. This whole reaction to all that's going on is the left realizing they're no longer in control. It's not just about me telling you the poll numbers every day. They're losing control of the messaging platforms because they can get exposed on there now. All of this is the same old thing. Every time it comes around, something that the right can control, something that the right can do, or say it's misinformation, it has to be controlled. It's not about democracy. Democracy is, allowed, is about letting all the voices be heard, and then you let the voters decide based on the message. But they just want to silence the message. We're going to take a break for the bottom of the new for the bottom of the hour news. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about what this actually is here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. Right now talking about uh, Elon Musk purchasing Twitter and the overall freakout from the left over it. See, 
for a long time, you've had a woke Twitter board and woke Twitter staffers who have been pushing for Twitter to take a stand and, and push out the quote unquote misinformation that's being put out there almost universally from the right. They don't go after serial harassers. They don't go after violent threats. They don't go after a lot of what they need to go after, but they do want to make sure to silence the right. In fact, I, I need to give you a little bit of a transcript from an MSNBC appearance that has uh, just incredible um, you could secretly ban one party's candidate, secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else, and the rest of us might not even find out about it until after the, the election. That was somebody on MSNBC talking about what Twitter could do under Elon Musk's rule. I'm sorry, but the New York Post would like a word with that person after their account was shut down for, sh for originally sharing the Hunter Biden story during the 2020 election. Twitter has been doing this and the left is freaking out because now it could be done to them. But Musk has already said, no, that's not the point. The point is to let every voice be heard. But the left is freaking out. Why is the left freaking out? Because it's about control. The left truly believes that it is the end of democracy if Musk is allowed to own Twitter. And I'm sorry, I've been on Twitter for over a decade. And I will tell you right now, if Twitter is the last great bastion of democracy, then democracy deserves to fail. Because Twitter is a cesspit disguised as a public square. But the moment you expose what the left is doing in practice to actually silence voices on the right... The moment that you just simply show what they're saying and doing, the moment that you are a threat to their public perception, that's when you are deemed an enemy of democracy. And they say you need to be shut down. You need to be silenced. You are misinformation. You are a threat to democracy. Because all, what are you doing? You're just showing what the, what the trans advocates who are in the classrooms in Florida actually want to teach their kids and have now been told they can by their governor. He threatens their ability to control the narratives at any given moment. And all of this comes despite the fact he never once said that's what he intended to do. From the very beginning, all he said is that he wants to return it to a place of discourse and not censorship, which I'm all for. Musk and I share very little in the way of political ideology. He is, in fact, center-left. Has some libertarian tendencies. I mean, you're not an ultra you're not an ultra conservative person if you're actually trying to save the world through making electric vehicles. But he also is a capitalist progressive because he's figured out a way to make a lot of money making the most successful electrical vehicles on the on the on the market. But they're losing their minds over the idea that more voices can be heard. If anything is a threat to democracy, it's that panic. To panic and think that democracy is being threatened because more voices are being heard 
That's the actual threat to democracy, not the more voices. That the idea is so outright rejected by the left to allow more voices on. It makes me think that perhaps democracy really wasn't the point. And it's all coming down because the left is going to lose big in November. Do you know how I know? And just some more evidence that's out there now. How do I know that the left is really worried about its losses come November? Some Louisiana news. Cedric Richmond's leaving the right the White House. He was uh, he was working in in uh, he's working in the White House. He's leaving for a staff position at the Democratic National Committee. Now, apparently, this resignation comes shortly after he referred to uh, Alexandria Casio Cortez and Rashida Tlaib as effing idiots. Might be one of the few things Richmond and I agree on. His role at the DNC is not being publicized a whole lot, but we know he's going over there. It looks like he's going over there to try to shore up ways to save moderate Democrats in the midterm elections. The far left, the, the, the far left politicians in the Democratic Party, they don't need help. They are in districts that are already so far to the left, they're not in trouble. It's the moderate Democrats who are. There has to be some message that Richmond, who's not a moderate but has played one on TV, there's some message that might mean he's a Democrat from a red state. So there's got to be something out there that he can use to help the DNC, and that's why he's going over there. He tore into left-wing squad members after progressive activists slammed Biden for hiring him despite his history of accepting campaign donations from fossil fuel executives. Team Biden needs Richmond at the DNC. They need him at the DNC because they need moderate voices in the party still. People who know how to run moderate campaigns. People who know winning moderate messages because the far left has taken over the rest of the party and they're dragging the moderates down with them. And it's one thing for you to be a left-wing party. It's another for your more moderating voices, the ones that can appeal to more voters to be wiped out in 2022 because your far left part of the party couldn't keep their mouths shut. They went for broke and it looks like the party is going to be broke. 232-1542. We're going to take a quick break. Come back with that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or, pro or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That is the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights for our United States Constitution. And there is a case at the Supreme Court. Is it Kennedy? Who is it Kennedy versus? I forget. But there is a coach who prayed with his football team at midfield and was fired by his school. And this case was heard before the Supreme Court yesterday. 
And it's a very, very interesting debate that we're having right now over prayer in schools because uh, we're, we're looking at it in a unique way. We haven't really looked at it much in this way before. We talk about under God and the Pledge of Allegiance. We talk about people actually praying in schools and offering prayer in schools. But a football coach prayed with his athletes at midfield and was fired by the school district, not because somebody complained. The school board fired him. The school board fired him and he sued and it's now gone up to the Supreme Court. Not because somebody complained, not because somebody was truly offended, but the school board said it was a violation of school board policy. And we go back to this phrase, the separation of church and state, which does not exist in the Constitution. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say separation of church and state. It says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Here is, however, the fascinating thing. I'm reading uh, a summary of some of the arguments from the liberal justices. Uh, This is via SCOTUS blog, which is a website that covers uh, hearings, judgments, and things like that at the Supreme Court. Justice Elena Kagan suggested that the focus on whether Kennedy's prayers were government speech was misplaced. What the justices should really be worried about, she said, is pressure on students to participate in religious activities they don't want to. Clement, the uh, attorney, countered that the lower court's ruling had rested on the premise that the school district wanted to avoid being seen as endorsing religion rather than concerns about coercion. Kagan pushed back, outlining a scenario in which the wor- in, in, in which the school district had properly asserted that it wanted to ensure that students did not feel coerced to join the prayers because their playing time might hinge on it, which would be improper for 16-year-olds. There is no co- coercion. A coach who prays with his athletes is not going to bench a kid for not playing, for not praying with the team. They're not going to do that. No coach will ever do that. Coaches understand. Coaches also want to win and they want to put their best players out there. And any athlete that actually truly knows their coach knows how the coach is going to react in that situation. They're not going to care whether or not you actually actively pray with the team. But here's what bothers me. Justice Elena Kagan, a progressive judge on the Supreme Court, horrified that kids might be forced to deal with the pressure to participate in prayer. No 16 to 18 year old should be subjected to that. Remember when I mentioned libs of TikTok earlier? What about the parents who don't want their kids to be told that everybody's gay and you need to accept all this and that and, and everybody and, and, and trans this and trans that. They don't want to be indoctrinated because that's a violation of their own faith and a violation of the parents' faith and the, and the family's faith. God forbid we allow anybody to, draw, to try to indoctrinate a 16-year-old in prayer. But we should be telling five, six, seven, eight-year-olds all about sexual identity, sexual acts, gays, lesbians, transsexuality, all that. God forbid we try to ban that from being taught in schools. 
it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? A high school kid worried that not praying with his team might cost him playing time. Clearly, Justice Elena Kagan did not play or has not played uh, intramural sports in a long time or high school sports in a long time because coaches don't go that route. They don't do that. God forbid we expose a 16-year-old to prayer because who knows what could happen to that kid's psyche being forced to participate in prayer. Not that I think they should be. But at the same time, apparently a second grader, a five-year-old, they have the mental and emotional capacity to handle sexual identity and sexuality in the classroom. In what world does this make sense? In what world does it make sense to think that a kid being involved in a prayer at school might be the end of that kid's emotional security, but exposing six-year-olds to transsexuality is not? That doesn't make sense, and that is how broken the left is, and that's why November is coming in such a big way for the Democrats. They cannot wrap their heads around the idea that this stuff is actually not nearly as good for them, for the kids, as they think, and that their priorities are engaged in all the wrong things at all the wrong times. That's why we are where we are. And let's remember, for the coach who prayed with his kids at midfield, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, nor shall Congress make a law prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That school board prohibited the free exercise thereof. A coach wanted to pray with his players. It was not a school-sanctioned prayer. It was a coach in the moment with his team, an emotional moment, and he wanted to pray with them. He wanted the Lord's blessing on his team. And that'll do it for today. 23 hours until we're back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Lots more coming up in the future. Don't forget to tune in. You can check me out on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Also, be sure to check out my Substack, kitchenpundit.substack.com, restate.com, and check out the podcast version of the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back tomorrow. See you guys then.